this is literally everything, 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 everything. If you're like me, you have a pile of books older than your grandma's mom and taller than the Empire State Building just begging to be read. To top it off, you probably add several books to said pile every week, yet somehow find yourself in a reading slump with nothing to read. Uh Uh-huh, I see you. In an attempt to tackle my never-ending pile of books, I decided to start a podcast with hopes of making some sort of dent in said pile, and maybe help inspire your next read. I'm Odell. Welcome to Just Read It Already. Hey everyone, welcome back to this special show for book nerds like myself. Happy almost 4th of July. When I'm recording this is still June, so I'm hoping that when this episode finally drops, we've gotten plenty of rain here in the Pacific Northwest, as May was super dry for us. I also hope there are no wildfires, and my dog has suddenly developed a nonchalant attitude toward fireworks, because my poor guy has lots of anxiety, and even though fireworks are illegal in the city limits, Dumbasses still feel the need to shoot them off. Seriously hate this holiday. But that's a topic for another podcast. We are here to talk about books. Today, I'm going to share with you four reviews. Yes, I know if you listened last week, I only mentioned three books, but I just got back from a Memorial Day road trip and I managed to squeeze in a couple of audiobooks. One of them was From the Grave by Cressley Cole. It was the final book in the Arcana Chronicles series, and I won't be reviewing it because it was book six. There is no way to review that book without spoiling the rest of the series. I will say, though, that I was happy with the way it ended. But the audiobook that I will do a mini-review of today is Drowning by T.J. Newman. I will also be sharing my thoughts on American Mermaid by Julia Langbean, The Collected Regrets of Clover by Mickey Brammer, and The Housemaid by Frieda McFadden. But before we jump into the reviews, let's take a look at some of this week's new releases. First on my list is Goodbye Earl, a revenge novel by Lisa Cross Smith. Taking inspiration from the infamous, empowering song, Goodbye Earl follows four best friends through two unforgettable summers, 15 years apart. Might have to check that one out. We also have Wolf Song by T.J. Clune. Oxnard Matheson was 12 when his father taught him a lesson. Ox wasn't worth anything, and people would never understand him. Then his father left. Ox was 16 when the energetic Bennett family moved in next door, harboring a secret that would change him forever. The Bennetts are shapeshifters. They can transform into wolves at will. Drawn to their magic, loyalty, and enduring friendships, Ox feels a gulf between this extraordinary new world and the quiet life he's known, but he finds an ally in Joe, the youngest Bennett boy. We also have Sunshine Nails by Mai Nguyen. A tender and funny debut about a Vietnamese-Canadian family who will do whatever it takes to keep their no-frills nail salon afloat after a multi-million dollar chain opens across the street. We also have The Second Chance Store by Lauren Bravo. If clothes can get a second chance, why can't we? Brimming with life, love, and the stories bound up in even the most everyday items, The Second Chance Store is a tale of friendship, loss, and dusting yourself off and starting over. A novel filled with humor and a testament to the enduring power and joy of charity shops. We also have Grayson's Vow by Mia Sheridan. Kira Dallaire is desperate. She must get married and fast to access the inheritance her late grandmother left her. Otherwise, she'll find herself at the mercy of her wealthy, abusive father. 
With little money and even fewer options, she uses her quick wit and impulsive heart to come up with a plan. We also have The Door-to-Door Bookstore by Karsten Henn, the charming international bestseller about an elderly bookseller who delivers his recommendations door-to-door and an unlikely friendship with a nine-year-old girl that changes his life. Next is Pete and Alice in Maine by Caitlin Shetterly, a powerful and beautifully written debut novel set against the backdrop of the chaotic spring of 2020 that intimately explores a fractured marriage and the struggles of modern parenthood. Next is Her Too by Bonnie Kistler. Defending an accused rapist, a high-powered lawyer learns firsthand the terrible truth about her client, a discovery that propels her on a quest for justice and revenge in this addictively readable thriller. Next is Trinity by Zelda Lockhart. It explores three generations of a family trying to overcome trials and trauma and free themselves from the darkness of the past. Next is At the End of Every Day by Ariana Reich. A loyal employee at a collapsing theme park questions the recent death of a celebrity visitor, the arrival of strange new guests, her boyfriend's erratic behavior, and ultimately her own sanity. Then we have Wanderlust by L. Everhart. People we meet on vacation meets the unhoneymooners in this sparkling debut romantic comedy about two near strangers and complete opposites who win a radio contest for a trip around the world. Next is Business or Pleasure by Rachel Lynn Solomon. Chandler Cohen has never felt more like the ghost in Ghostwriter until she attends a signing for a book she wrote, and the author doesn't even recognize her. The evening turns more promising when she meets a charming man at the bar and immediately connects with him, but when all their sexual tension culminates in a spectacularly awkward hookup, she decides this is one night better off forgotten. Unfortunately, that's easier said than done. Her next project is ghostwriting a memoir for Finn Walsh, a C-list actor best known for playing a lovable nerd on a cult classic werewolf show who now makes a living appearing at fan conventions across the country. But Chandler knows him better from their one-night stand of hilarious mishaps. Next is Excavations by Kate Myers. In this breezy and hilarious novel set in the astonishingly beautiful sun-dappled Greek islands, four incompatible women digging into the past may just find the answers to their future. Then we have The Exhibitionist by Charlotte Mendelssohn. A marriage between two artists, Lucia and Ray, which begins to unravel after decades of one-sided partnership over the course of one weekend. And last on my list is The Sunset Crowd by Karen Tanabe, a tale of survival and reinvention of faking it until you make it and the glittering appeal of success and stardom as it seeks to answer that timeless question, who gets to have the American dream? This week I pre-ordered Wolf Song by TJ Klune. He has become an automatic purchase author for me. I'm also interested in At the End of Every Day by Ariana Reich, and might be interested in Business or Pleasure. The synopsis sounds kind of funny, but I rarely enjoy rom-coms, so I don't know. Holding off on that one. I received advanced reader copies of The Last One by Will Dean, I Did It For You by Amy Engel, Your Lonely Nights Are Over by Adam Sass, and Together We Rot by Skyla Arndt, courtesy of the publishers, via NetGalley in exchange for an honest review, so... Look for those in the coming weeks. I also purchased a copy of Fourth Wing, complete with the sprayed edges, because Bookstagram pressured me into it. FOMO was real, y'all. I also snagged a discounted copy of Colleen Hoover's Verity. It's a special edition with the extra crazy chapter. I also snagged an ebook of The Celebrants by Stephen Rowley. So yeah, got plenty to keep me busy. With that said, I think it's time to jump into the reviews. So I'll start off by sharing my thoughts on American Mermaid by Julia Langbean. 
I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. L-A-N-G-B-E-I-N is how you spell the last name. And for the record, I received an advanced reader's copy from the publisher via NetGalley in exchange for an honest review. This book was first published by Doubleday Books on March 21st, 2023. The synopsis reads, Penelope Schleeman, a consistently broke Connecticut high school teacher, is as surprised as anyone when her sensitive debut novel, American Mermaid, the story of a wheelchair-bound scientist named Sylvia, who discovers that her withered legs are the vestiges of a powerful tale, becomes a bestseller. Penelope soon finds herself lured to L.A. by promises of easy money to co-write the American Mermaid screenplay for a major studio with a pair of male hacks. As the studio pressures Penelope to change American Mermaid from the story of a fierce, androgynous eco-warrior to a teen sex object in a clam bra, strange things start to happen. Threats appear in the screenplay draft. Siren calls lure people into danger. When Penelope's screenwriting partners try to kill Sylvia off entirely in a bitterly false but cinematic end, matters off the page escalate. Is Penelope losing her mind, or is Sylvia among us? American Mermaid follows a young woman braving a world of casual smiles and ruthless calculation, where she discovers a beating heart in her own fiction, a creature she'll do anything to protect. By turns, both a comic and fabulously insightful tale of two female characters in search of truth, love, and self-acceptance as they move between worlds without giving up their voices. I will warn you that this review contains minor plot spoilers from the book, so if you prefer to go into this one completely blind, go ahead and skip to the next review using the chapters in the show notes. So after reading a summary of this book, it sounded like it might be right up my alley. It sounded as though it would be a fun and quirky comedy, and while parts of it were absolutely hilarious, it never fully grabbed me. And at the end, I was left scratching my head wondering what I had just read. The book begins with our protagonist, Penelope Penny Schleeman, reflecting on the book that she wrote and how she's gone from a school teacher in Connecticut to best-selling author living in LA while she helps co-write the screenplay for the movie. Penny is awkward, she's self-deprecating, absolutely hilarious. I think many of us can relate to her. She has no idea what it takes to write a screenplay, but she's determined to make this work because, as her no-nonsense agent Danielle tells her, all she has to do is get her name out there and learn the ropes and she'll make millions. Her days of teaching ungrateful kids are over. This all sounds great to Penny. The only problem is the two male writers at the studio has hired to pen the screenplay with Penny's help don't really seem to get the book and have changed several characters and plot points to make it more appropriate for a movie. They're kind of dickish and condescending to Penny. She's not entirely on board with the changes, but she doesn't feel like she has a lot of say in the matter. She really needs the money for a double mastectomy. She tested positive for the BRCA gene that gave her mother breast cancer, and the surgery will pretty much save her life, but her insurance won't cover it. Since Penny can't seem to find her voice, some unknown person makes changes to the script. Randy and Murphy, the screenwriters, are certain that it's Penny doing it, but Penny insists it isn't. Could Sylvia, the mermaid in her story, be real? Is she the one messing with things? While we read Penny's adventures in screenwriting as she, Randy, and Murphy work to get the screenplay in shape and ready for the table reading, we also get chapters from Penny's book, American Mermaid, the story of a mermaid who was found on the shore when she was a baby, adopted by a couple of scientists worried about climate change. The couple has tried to conceive a child of their own, but could not do so, so they employ the help of a brilliant surgeon who gives the baby legs, though she's unable to walk and has to use a wheelchair. They take her in as their own, name her Sylvia, and when she's 24, she tries to commit suicide by throwing herself into the ocean, and that's when she transforms into her true form, and the real adventure begins. Seem like a lot? 
Kind of was. In the beginning, I was on board, but as the book progressed, I struggled to stay interested. Anytime we switched from Penny's life to Sylvia's story, it took me a minute to reorient myself. The tone shift was a bit jarring, and it got to where I would need to set the book down, and then I would struggle to want to pick it back up. Honestly, I would have been perfectly fine had we not had the chapters from the actual book and just focused on Penny and her adventure in L.A. I thought her figurative fish-out-of-water story was much more fun and entertaining than Sylvia's literal fish-out-of-water story. I think had we maybe just had snippets from Penny's book, it would have been fine. I also felt that there was a real missed opportunity with the character of Derek. He was a fun character, but at the end of the book it left me wondering why he was necessary to the overall story. In the end, it felt like I was reading two very different books simultaneously. One that I enjoyed, and the other that wasn't very interesting at all, but I was forced to finish both of them. The book does a great job of satirizing the book-to-film process. I will give it that. How many times have any of us book nerds said, yeah, the book was better? I don't know that I could say the same in this case. In the end, I loved Penny. I thought she was hilarious. I just wish the book had flowed better. When all was said and done, the best I could do was give it two and a half stars. Okay, before the break, I'm going to do a quick mini review of the audiobook version of Drowning by T.J. Newman. This book was released on May 30th, 2023, and was first published by Simon & Schuster. The synopsis reads, Six minutes after takeoff, Flight 1421 crashes into the Pacific Ocean. During the evacuation, an engine explodes and the plane is flooded. Those still alive are forced to close the doors, but it's too late. The plane sinks to the bottom with 12 passengers trapped inside. More than 200 feet below the surface, engineer Will Kent and his 11-year-old daughter Shannon are waist-deep in water and fighting for their lives. Their only chance of survival is an elite rescue team on the surface led by professional diver Chris Kent, Shannon's mother, and Will's soon-to-be ex-wife, who must work together with Will to find a way to save their daughter and rescue the passengers from the sealed airplane, which is now teetering on the edge of an undersea cliff. There's not much time there's even less air. With devastating emotional power and heart-stopping suspense, Drowning is an unforgettable thriller about a family's desperate fight to save themselves and the people trapped with them against impossible odds. The audiobook was narrated by Steven Weber and Laura Bonanti. They're both excellent narrators, but I know them best from TV and movies. Steven Weber is probably best known for his portrayal of Brian Hackett in the 1990s TV show Wings. More recently, he played the principal in the Netflix series 13 Reasons Why. Laura Bonanti starred on Broadway with Zachary Levi in the musical She Loves Me. She's also appeared in TV series like Supergirl, Nashville, Life and Beth, and the Gossip Girl reboot. It should come as no surprise that this book is definitely intense and the situation made me super uncomfortable. I remember going to Hawaii back in, I think it was in 2000, and at one point as we were over the Pacific Ocean while we're headed there, I got up to use the restroom and I made the mistake of looking out the window and all I saw was blue water beneath me. It was terrifying. Then when we were flying home, the plane made this sharp turn as we took off from the airport. I was sitting in the window seat and I looked down and all I saw was water. I seriously thought we were going down, so when the plane begins to malfunction during takeoff from the Honolulu airport, I was right there with these people. It was terrifying. I'm seriously terrified of crashing in the water. I don't even want to go on a cruise, because the thought of drowning or getting lost in the ocean is probably my worst fear. You're just so helpless. I need my feet planted firmly on the ground. I feel safe, 
it makes me feel like I have some sense of control of my life. Anyway, back to the book. I listened to this author's first book, Falling, when it released last year, and I really liked the story. I may be in the minority here, but I felt like the first book had more action and grabbed me more. That one was about a pilot who flies a plane full of passengers headed for New York from LA. And as he's taking off, he gets a call that his wife and two kids are being held hostage and they will be killed unless the pilot crashes the plane. Steven Weber also narrated that book and did a great job. I would highly recommend it. But the reason I liked that book better was because this one felt somewhat claustrophobic, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just made me really uncomfortable. But I kind of get it. We're talking about a group of people trapped in a plane that's sinking in the ocean. There's not a lot they can do, and of course, they're claustrophobic trapped in that plane. The book flips between the passengers as they struggle to stay alive and the rescue crew frantically trying to decide the best course of action to save them. Stakes are high, tensions run even higher when the estranged wife and mother of two of the passengers on the plane comes into play. She's a very experienced underwater welder, and she has an idea of how to save them. But of course, the big, strong, know-it-all Navy men are hesitant to listen to her. While this is definitely a plot-driven novel, the author does a good job of connecting us with Will, Chris, and Shannon, and often flashes back to a time when they were a happy family, and gives us a look at the tragedy that tore Chris and Will apart. What I would have liked was a little more on some of the other passengers. I feel like that would have made me care more about them. There were a lot of players here, and I didn't feel super connected with many of them, or at least not as much as I would have liked. That said, I really enjoyed the book and made my nine-hour road trip flyby. If you like an edge-of-your-seat, claustrophobic, fast-paced read, definitely check this one out, but only if you don't plan on flying anytime soon. I gave this one four stars on Goodreads. All right, it is time for a quick break. Okay, now I'll share my thoughts on The Warm and Touching, The Collected Regrets of Clover by Mickey Brammer. This book was first published by St. Martin's Press on May 9th, 2023. The synopsis reads, What's the point of giving someone a beautiful death if you can't give yourself a beautiful life? From the day she watched her kindergarten teacher drop dead during a dramatic telling of Peter Rabbit, Clover Brooks has felt a stronger connection with the dying than she has with the living. After the beloved grandfather who raised her dies alone while she is traveling, Clover becomes a death doula in New York City, dedicating her life to ushering people peacefully through their end-of-life process. Clover spends so much time with the dying that she has no life of her own, until the final wishes of a feisty old woman send Clover on a trip across the country to uncover a forgotten love story, and perhaps her own happy ending. As she finds herself struggling to navigate the uncharted roads of romance and friendship, Clover is forced to examine what she really wants and whether she'll have the courage to go after it. Probing, clever, and hopeful, the collected regrets of Clover turns the normally taboo subject of death into a reason to celebrate life. This is the third book that I've read this year that really, really touched me and left me deep in thought. This was my book of the month pick for May, and I loved everything about this book. The book is told from the first-person viewpoint of Clover Brooks, a 30-something-year-old woman who works as a death doula. I had never heard of a death doula before, but it totally makes sense. While a birth doula is there to usher newborns into the world, making them feel safe and loved, death doulas do the same, except they're there to help those on their deathbed cross in peace. 
Many of Clover's clients live alone and have no family, so she's there for them to listen, hold their hand, provide some sort of comfort to them as they live out their final hours. This is definitely a character-driven novel, and it focuses on Clover's journey to self-awareness and, in some ways, self-acceptance. She's probably one of the most selfless characters I've ever read. She loves helping people, loves bringing them comfort. And this is surprising, seeing as how Clover's own parents never held her or hugged her, and often left her with the neighbor while they went gallivanting on these luxury trips around the world. One day, the parents die while overseas, and Clover is sent to live with her grandfather. And while her grandfather was very kind and caring toward her, he never showed her much physical affection by way of hugs. He was more a pat-on-the-head sort of guy. So it really struck me that Clover, who was in her 30s, had never been hugged before. Growing up, she was always considered the weirdo, so she didn't have any close friends. So when a new tenant named Sylvie moves into her building and tries to strike up a friendship with Clover, she isn't sure how to react. Her instincts tell her to retreat and deny. It's safer when you're alone. But her need for connection pushes her out of her comfort zone into a beautiful friendship with Sylvie. Another thing that I really loved were the binders that Clover kept. She had one for regrets, one for advice, and one for confessions. This is where she would write things that her clients told her and then would use them in her day-to-day life. For example, if someone gave her a piece of advice on their deathbed, she would write that down and then use that at some point during the next week. Or if a client confessed something to her. So, for example, a man confessed that he would steal from street performers when they weren't looking. So then she did something to atone for that. And in the case of the street performer, she would leave extra money in the tips that she would give them to make up for what the man had stolen. And as far as regrets went, Clover would in some way honor what the person regretted that they had never done by doing it for them. Things really take a turn for Clover when she meets a man by the name of Sebastian at a death cafe meeting, and he's determined to get to know her. He eventually employs Clover as a death doula for his dying grandmother, and it's the connection with the grandmother that awakens something in Clover and sends her on an adventure that forever changes her and opens her eyes to the fact that while it's nice to be kind and caring to others, sometimes you need someone to care about and be kind to you as well. There have been so many times when I've read a review where someone described the book as a nice warm hug. And while I thought the description was nice, I never really got it. Not until I read this book. That is exactly how I felt the entire time I read it. It's beautiful and very well written. And while it deals with death, it's wrapped up in lots of love and hope. I gave this one a very solid 5 out of 5 stars. Now I'm going to close out with The Housemaid by Frida McFadden. This is book 1 in The Housemaid series. It was first published by Book Couture on April 26, 2022, and was a Goodreads Choice nominee for Best Mystery and Thriller that same year. The synopsis reads, Every day I clean the Winchester's beautiful house top to bottom. I collect their daughter from school, and I cook a delicious meal for the whole family before heading up to eat alone in my tiny room on the top floor. I try to ignore how Nina makes a mess just to watch me clean it up, how she tells strange lies about her own daughter, and how her husband Andrew seems more broken every day. But as I look into Andrew's handsome brown eyes so full of pain, it's hard not to imagine what it would be like to live Nina's life. The walk-in closet, the fancy car, the perfect husband. I only try on one of Nina's pristine white dresses once, just to see what it's like. 
but she soon finds out, and by the time I realize my attic bedroom door only locks from the outside, it's far too late. But I reassure myself, the Winchesters don't know who I really am. They don't know what I'm capable of. An unbelievably twisty read that will have you glued to the pages late into the night. Anyone who loves the woman in the window, the wife between us, and the girl on the train won't be able to put this down. So I have seen this book everywhere since joining the Bookstagram community on Instagram back in March. It's one of those that at first glance I thought, no, I'll probably hate that. But then after seeing it enough, out of curiosity, I picked it up and holy shit, was this a crazy ride. And was it perfect? Absolutely not. Were parts of the plot totally implausible? Yeah, but did I care? No. The book is way too much fun. It's full of twists and turns and characters that you really want to punch in the crotch. I was captivated from the prologue, where we open with a woman speaking to a police officer. We learn there is a dead body in the attic, and the woman is certain that she's about to go to prison. Then we flash back three months earlier to the day when our protagonist, Millie Calloway, is being interviewed for a job by the, at the time, charming and very well-put-together Nina Winchester. Nina is very wealthy, lives in a huge house with her husband Andrew and her 10-year-old daughter Cecilia. Millie desperately needs this job. She's an ex-con, she's living out of her car at the time, she was just fired from her job, and if she doesn't find another job and a place to live real quick, she could violate her parole. She's certain that Nina won't hire her because which rich white woman is going to want an ex-con as a live-in housekeeper? But much to her surprise, Nina offers Millie the job, and it's not long before Millie is moving in. The first weird thing that Millie notices is the Italian landscaper, who can't speak English but seems to be warning Millie of some sort of danger. And then there's Nina. The warm and charming woman Millie met during the interview is anything but... She constantly screams at Millie, she makes ridiculous demands, and let's not talk about the devil child, Cecilia. Now, Millie can't afford to quit or be fired from this job, so she takes Nina's abuse until she can find something else. Her only saving grace is Nina's husband, Andrew. If it weren't for his kindness, Millie might go crazy, but is Andrew really the sweet, caring husband he appears to be? How could someone as nice as him possibly put up with someone like Nina? What I loved is that about halfway through the book, the perspective changes and we get tipped on our head. We get the other side of the story, and holy shit. I thought the first half of the book was wild, but it was nothing compared to the second half, and I did not expect that ending at all. I think one thing that made this book so enjoyable for me was that I imagined Elizabeth Moss playing Nina Winchester, the wealthy woman who hires the ex-con. If you've watched The Handmaid's Tale, you know how good Elizabeth Moss is at playing both sweet and then don't fuck with me crazy. I would love to see her play this role. I also pictured her co-star from The Handmaid's Tale, Madeline Brewster, as Millie, and then I pictured Alexander Skarsgård as Andrew. Lock them in your head, read the book, thank me later. Now, to say much more about the plot would give away the fun twist, so I'm going to cut this review short. This book is a super quick read, really short chapters, which made a flyby for me. I read it in a few hours. I loved the crazy ride. I can't wait to check out the sequel. I gave this one four out of five stars on Goodreads. That's all I have for you today. 
Be sure to follow the show on Instagram at Just Read It Already Pod for up to date daily bookish news from me. And be sure to check out some of the bookish merch available on the website at JustReadItAlready.com. You can also find reviews and a full transcript as well as past episodes on there as well. Be sure to join me next week when I share my thoughts on Lauren Chamberlain's Who We Are Now, TJ Clune's Under the Whispering Door, Sally Hepworth's The Soulmate, and Amy Ingalls' I Did It For You. Have a great week.